The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. God, can you imagine if Osmosis Jones all happened inside of Nicolas Cage instead of all inside of Bill Murray? (laughs) I was nauseated by that egg I ate at the zoo. Out of the monkey's mouth. Out of the monkey's mouth. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. (laughs) And I'm Dylan. And we're having to do another morning record because that's the state our lives are in. And boy, howdy, we're loopy. Uh, oh, yeah. I hope it, I hope all of that intro dialogue makes it in. <laughs> we're going to have a 20-minute intro to this episode because <laughs> I'm a monster of an editor. Um, <laughs> welcome back to our podcast. We talk about games and how games tell stories because we tell stories with our bodies and our voices because we're actors. And <laughs> Oh, man. AM Chris is the best Chris. AM <laughs> Chris is tied with, like, early AM Chris for weirdest chris you can get um but today we have a topic that is going to be kind of a fun one uh there's a narrative tool that comes up somewhat frequently in games that games are able to make kind of an in a unique use of by virtue of you know their interactive media and they you literally you know walk a mile in the character you're playing as shoes so we're going to talk about what happens when sometimes who that character is changes on you without you (laughs) fucking dylan in real time, editing our note document while I'm watching with all caps and profanity. Uh, but we're going to talk about games. I did games. think you were still on the dock. <laughs> we're going to be talking about games that uh, change the player character perspective kind of out of nowhere and the effect that that can have on a narrative and the effect that that can have on the way that you as a player experience a story. I would... <laughs> I was recording, I was doing the recording session for the other podcast last night, and one of the other actors was kind of late, and so we were just chatting. I don't know how it came up, but somehow the topic went from uh, one of the other actors involved was going to, after they were done recording, they were going to go see us for the third time. Uh, And so we were talking about horror movies, and then that turned into talking about movies more generally, and then somehow that turned into a deep dive on Osmosis Jones. Okay, of course, naturally. Oh, it was because, um, it was a weird train of thought. This actor, uh, their girlfriend's friend, one of their girlfriend's friends had begun the community of Lorax fans that ship the Onesler with himself. (laughs) We found ground zero. (laughs) And then that led to a discussion of how people were really horny for the virus voiced by Lawrence Fishburne that was the villain in Osmosis Jones. Oh my god. And then what? that led to I can a see deep why, but And what? then that led to a deep dive on just like wow Osmosis Jones was a weird and kind of great movie with a like bizarrely star-studded cast. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I cracked the joke of like, hey, everyone, welcome to our Osmosis Jones fan cast. And then I was just like, 
Jonesen. That's the name. And that's why that's why I agreed to marry you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Uh Dylan, tell me about our topic for this week. Okay, so um (laughs) on the docket we have unexpected perspective shifts. Uh so uh essentially Followed you up know. by a bunch of game names, and then what made me laugh a minute ago, all caps, fuck, I forgot The Last of Us. <laughs> exactly. Um, so basically, uh, as the player, you become accustomed, you are introduced to your avatar. The avatar may be someone that you create, or it may be a character that is given to you. But for all intents and purposes, whether you like the character or not, you kind of, you start to project onto that character and... A lot of who you are as the player and what you are doing in this fictional universe crafted for you to play in is informed by what your protagonist does and the decisions they make. And there are some games where the rug is completely taken out from under you and you find yourself playing as someone completely different. Uh, We've talked before on this show about how acting is all about characters making choices. And so with that being the case... You make choices through the character that you are playing, your avatar in the game world, and that's what makes the game go forward. And so it's very interesting when suddenly it's like, nope, you're this guy now. Dylan, do you have a good example to just sort of like kick this down, kick this can into my mouth? <sighs> okay, like, I want to, but then we'll spoil all the discussion. No, okay. <laughs> so uh, I think one of the most famous or infamous, if you're feeling nasty, um examples of this happening this is is the am cast just the the horny cast (laughs) it might be (laughs) um but anyway uh the the most infamous example of this gamers and gamettes god damn it (laughs) (laughs) and i'm adding to the docket anyway uh yeah no i think the most infamous (laughs) example of this happening is metal gear solid 2 where in all the the trailers and press releases leading up to the release of Metal Gear Solid 2 was that you would be playing as it's the continued adventures of MGS1 protagonist Solid Snake. Yes, that is his code name. And and he's dummy thick. And he's dummy thick. And ah, god damn it. <laughs> Anywho, there there was this built up expectation that this was going to continue Solid Snake's story and then you play a snake for maybe 2 or 3 hours. And all these weird plot twists happen, like, one after the other. And then it looks like Snake drowns. And then you start up the game as someone else. Uh, <laughs> you are you are replaced from Snake with the uh, protagonist, Raiden, who is basically, like, he is, you know... If Snake is introduced to most American fans of the series as this very gruff, gritty, hardened soldier who's already seen a couple uh, missions in his time. Raiden is completely green, completely fresh, and all of the weird supernatural stuff that happens in the Metal Gear games are completely alien to him, and he reacts to them as a normal person would. A lot of people didn't take well to that, but essentially what is being accomplished in this is that Hideo Kojima is trying to like take something that we have taken for granted, and that is the weird supernatural bullshit that is the Metal Gear Solid universe, in trying to reframe it as something alien and foreign and something that really you should be questioning because it's not supposed to make sense. <laughs> a common one is what you see, like like you're saying, kind of in like the sequel situation of like, oops, surprise, new character. But I think that it's interesting, like 
what I like about Metal Gear Solid 2 and what I like about this sort of switch with Raiden is that it is very intentional. Like you're saying, it is. it doesn't really change much about the world, but it asks you to see the world through the eyes of someone who isn't quite as desensitized to all of this stuff that's going on. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a common thread is like, as actors, we're always trying to be intentional about the decisions we make. And so we're on this podcast going to try and be very intentional about like, what do you think this is for? Because rarely is anything like this just, you know, for the shits of it. it it's not just like, I'm doing this because I'm creative and I go against the grain. Um, Hideo <laughs> Kojima... I mean, you know, I'm Quirky describes Hideo Kojima pretty well, but... I, I do think that, like, at least in Metal Gear Solid 2, like, a lot of his quirkiness had purpose behind it. Yeah. Um, I, I could talk more in depth about Metal Gear Solid 2, but I feel like that deserves its own episode. <laughs> like, the Brecht episode that we've talked about a couple times. Yeah. But, uh, don't worry about that right now. Who's Brecht? Shut up. <laughs> Bertolt! Uh, <laughs> but, another... Uh, Another yeah. good example uh, from slightly more recently than Metal Gear Solid 2, although also kind of an older game at this point, was Assassin's Creed 3. The Assassin's Creed franchise is very weird, uh, but <laughs> oh, is built... Is it? Yeah, but it like the, the core conceit, at least of the early games, I don't know if they've strayed too far away from this or not. I haven't really played much Assassin's Creed after, like, Black Flag. But the core conceit is that you play in the first three games as a boring, futury man named Desmond Miles, I think, who's voiced he's... by Nolan North. It... Nolan North. Nolan North. <laughs> Nolan North. He's, he's uh, your everyman, and by that I mean he doesn't really have much of a personality and just kind of reacts to things going around him, but like... Desmond Miles think... does, not Nolan North. I have not met the man. Oh, I yeah. assume he's more Nolan, interesting than that. Nolan North, at least from interviews, seems like a ball of charisma. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so you are a boring man in the near future. I guess actually it was set in 2012. Uh, what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I that was a, a flashback, but like yeah, the the conceit of Assassin's Creed one, two, and three is that you're counting down to the supposed end of the world, Mayan apocalypse, December 21st, 2012 bullshit. Oh um, man, that I killed that Dylan with that. Really well, I'm yeah. just gonna say. I anyway, can't I need to, I need to get to, I need to find future. the thread. I need to find the thread. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. We're really bad. <laughs> but you, boring man in the distant future age of 2011, can plug yourself into a machine that lets you live through the lives of your ancestors. All of your ancestors being much more interesting, stabby fellows of the past in an ancient order of assassins. It gets real goofy. There's this whole, like, Illuminati-esque secret war between the Assassins and the Knights Templar and, like... Don't for forget the, the ancient the aliens. Earth. Yeah, there's also ancient... It, it gets weird. It gets really weird. But, but anyway... This is important because they establish, like, Assassin's Creed 1, you play as an assassin in the Middle East during the Crusades. Assassin's Creed 2, you play as an assassin in the Italian Renaissance. And so they're building this expectation of, like... Every game, you're going to play as a different fellow in a different historical era, and you're going to be an assassin. Yeah. And then Assassin's Creed 3 starts getting promos, and you're seeing a man in, like, the assassin-coded clothing with, like, a tomahawk and his hidden arm knife. And he's, like, running through battlefields in the Revolutionary War. And so it's going to be set in America. You're going to be able to, like, do your runny, jumpy, climby that is so core to the game outside. 
they're teasing these big battles and it's like, oh, sweet, Revolutionary War, Native American man assassin. And then you buy the game and the first like four hours, you're not playing as Connor, the promised Native American assassin. You're actually playing as a stuffy British man or something like that. I, I, I can't name? remember his I can't remember his name offhand. I'll look it up, but keep keep talking. Yeah, you're playing as this like stuffy British man who the twist is, and spoilers, I guess, for the end of the intro to Assassin's Creed 3. Arguably uh, the worst Assassin's Creed game. I Yeah. <laughs> I said arguably. Like there are uh, better Assassin's Creed games. It's not are, a terrible game, but there are much better Assassin's Creed games. Uh <laughs> but the the twist is that you find out that this guy is the father of the character you're going to be playing, and this guy is a Templar. And this is, like, again, it's intentional. They're setting up, like, he ends up being one of the main conflict points and one of the main villains of the rest of the game. So what they're trying to do is they're sitting here trying to make you, like, appreciate that maybe there's some nuance on, like, the the Templar assassin evil good conflict going on here. Haytham, that's his name. Haytham, thank you, yes. But also, it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because the pacing on this early section is so weird and nobody was expecting to be playing as this person who can't do any of the cool things that they were teasing in the promo material. Yeah. So, like, on the one hand, it turned out to be a well-executed kind of bait-and-switch. And again, that's what they were going for. But it also left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth that then the rest of the game kind of exacerbated because... For all of the things that I do remember liking about Assassin's Creed 3, it was also kind of a buggy mess. I also just remember Haytham, the uh, other side character. I, I remember him being more, at least from what I heard from all of my friends who played the game, he was a more interesting character than Connor ended up being. He was a more interesting character than main storyline Connor. Okay. Uh, Assassin's Creed 3, I actually read a retrospective about it recently, mm. and... This prompted me to, like, remember my time playing it and my time, not gonna lie, enjoying it for all of its flaws. Yeah. Uh, But this is another episode topic, but very quickly, like, Connor in the main storyline is very, like, brooding and kind of dull and not, like, a particularly interesting character. But there's a lot of side missions and all of his side missions are, like, based around this desire he has to, like, make the world better than it is and make like his slice of the world a more livable place and like you see a different and more interesting side of the character in a lot of the side content which we've talked a little bit about in other episodes but not this game specifically so but sometimes this kind of bait and switch switcheroo freaky friday in games gets a little weirder than just like now this is your new main character or now this is the intro section where you play as stuffy mcbritish uh one of my favorite examples of this and it's like it kind of counts but it kind of doesn't it's more of a like set piece moment for lack of a better word i guess uh but in paper mario and the thousand year door which is one of my favorite games that has ever existed you have a one of the sort of mid middle of the game chapters is all about you trying to stop this sorcerer who is turning people into pigs and, you know, you do the Paper Mario thing of exploring the world and figuring out where you need to go and you have some fights and you solve a couple puzzles and then you get to a boss chamber and it's pretty straightforward and pretty quick. And then you fight this boss who does not tell you his name. You know, he's just sort of shows up as question marks in the battle menu and he goes down like shockingly easily. 
you know, you beat him and you get the victory screen and like the end of chapter thing happens, which in everything's Mario, happy. <laughs> yeah. There's playing the triumphant music and you get like a text crawl of like Mario and his friends defeated the new menace and found the crystal star. But who knows what next will it uh, find them next chapter in Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door. And the curtain closes. <laughs> and then the curtain opens back up. And you watch as Mario and your party members leave the screen, leaving the body of the villain, who at this point has transformed into, like, a shadow version of Mario lying there. And you wait for a little bit and wait for, uh, like, the cutscene to end. And then you hit a button and Shadow Mario jumps up and now you're controlling the body of the villain because he stole your fucking identity. <laughs> and it's such, so like... It's so when, good because... When you showed me that, like, I legitimately lost my shit. That was one of the coolest plot twists in any game I've ever it's played. It's so good, and it's it's great because it's playing on... This is, I, I want to say, chapter four of this game. Mm -hmm. So you've had four times going through this sort of gameplay loop of get to new area, figure out what the problem is, fight enemies, solve puzzles, beat boss. Mm -hmm. And this portion of this gameplay loop is just long enough and just complex enough that you that it's basically saying like oh yeah this is just sort of a shortish middle game chapter yeah and then you get to this moment and it's like oh i just hit the halfway point <laughs> oh we ain't out of it yet fellas and so then there's a whole bit where like you have to go around and you have to you like you end up teaming up with a character who up to this point has been a villain because she doesn't know that you're mario <laughs> And you have to solve some puzzles and you have to figure out the guy's name. And it's it's a great chapter. And then, you know, the chapter ends and you go back to being Mario and all of your friends are like, oh my God, I can't believe I believe that that was you. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> it's been a while since a Snagglepuss adjacent voice came I so, out. <laughs> I was about to say, like, I missed you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's such a cool example of just like, it's... A little off topic of what we're talking about, because it's not really asking you to, like, suddenly you're a different character. But it is a very cool twist on the formula that they'd established, and it does kind of ask you to re-engage with how this game is putting itself together and, like, figure out ways to get around. And all of the conversations you can have with people are very, like, very different than when you're Mario and you're the superstar that everyone knows and everyone loves. Yeah. And now you're just, like, <laughs> this nobody with no face and no voice. Uh, Chris, if it makes you feel better, I have a example that is very similar to this. So Hit me. I'm excited. I, oh, okay. I'm going right into it. Yeah, that's okay. That's really all I had to say about Paper Mario. I wanted to give okay, a shout out cool. to one of my favorite games ever, but also like that's just one of the coolest like examples. That's what we of call a, a good set piece. Yeah, it's a game that knows exactly how it works and knows exactly how you, the player, are going to understand that it works at that point, and is mm -hmm. like, all right, cool. Let me throw a wrench in that shit. I love it. Everyone, go. Buy a GameCube, I guess, and play Paper Mario in the Thousand-Year Door. <laughs> Alright, so this next one is going to admittedly be a game I have not beaten. I'm, like, halfway through it, and it's becoming a bit of a chore. <laughs> but it's, it's still a good game. It's just gotten to a point where, like, I hit a wall and I can't progress. Chrono Cross for the PlayStation 1. The basic plot for Chrono Cross is in itself very atypical and... I wouldn't call it an unexpected perspective shift, but it's definitely not what you're expecting. The basic plot to Chrono Cross is that you are a boy, and you are in your seaside beach town, and 
you are collecting seashells with your girlfriend when all of a sudden everything around you changes and you learn that you are in an alternate universe where 10 years ago you died as a kid. Oh, cool. That's <laughs> relaxing. It's very relaxing. You know, you're very disoriented, and this isn't the perspective shift I was talking about, although I guess you could qualify that as it, its own perspective shift. Um, but it's it's almost like that... You know, that extended sequence in It's a Wonderful Life where it's like, this is what your life would be like if you were never born. So you mean is like that... the entirety of the If It's a Wonderful Life? I, I thought that was only like the last half because I think the first half is actually building up what his life is currently. Yeah, no, that's, it's the most memorable part anyway. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Chrono Cross is an RPG where you're exploring the world in an It's a Wonderful Life scenario in which you were never born. And ironically enough, the bulk of the world is better off for it. Well... <laughs> It, Chrono Cross is a weird game. That's it's, it's kind. <laughs> like, I mean, some people are suffering, but like for <laughs> the most part, like on the cosmic scheme of things, you get to a point where, like, as you are trying to figure out why you are in this alternate universe and why there are people, like why there are knights that want you dead for some reason, you are constantly like running into this antagonist called Lynx. And Lynx is after the same MacGuffin you are. The Triforce of Power. It's actually the Frozen Flame. Um, <sighs> Chrono Cross has such a weird plot. But anyway, I, I guess <laughs> I'll just I'll jump right to it. Uh, you are after this MacGuffin, and so you get to the dungeon where it is housed, I believe. You know, you get into a boss fight with Lynx. Lynx being like an actual like demi-human like Panther Man. Good. Um, and, <laughs> and you fight him. And then all of a sudden there's an FMV and you switch bodies with him. And Lynx is now inhabiting your body. You're a silent protagonist, so you know something's up when you see your you see your character talking and he has a menacing looking face portrait. Oh good. Um, That's dope. It's it's really cool, and you have to fight your party, and they beat the shit out of you because of course they do. Essentially what happens is you end up you know, you get trounced and you wake up and a character who you had met you had met previously who was kind of like a third party uh she basically is talking to you and she's talking about like concepts of like identity and who you are and like how people react to you and it ties into the themes of the game in a really weird way and unfortunately because i haven't beaten the game i can't speak about it in too much more detail but i i do think it's it's kind of this interesting your perspective is constantly switching like your given circumstances are being changed uh, your appearance is being changed. Like, your identity is this constant, amorphous thing. You know, if nothing else, I think that is something that Chrono Cross does that is really cool. I guess now, because I'm talking about Chrono Cross, I can segue into Chrono Trigger, which is a game that I have not beaten, but I've gotten to the final boss, so I feel like I have more <laughs> liberty to talk there's, about it. There's less of the narrative that you haven't felt. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I know how the game ends, because it is a game that came out in 1994, 5, something like that. Chrono um, Trigger, also, like, one of those games that everyone, like, frequently makes best game of all time lists. Yeah. In Chrono Cross, or Chrono Trigger, rather, uh, you are playing as Chrono, another silent protagonist. And, like, many RPGs with silent protagonists, especially, you, you know... They are your gateway to the world. You are them. Every accomplishment you do is supposed to feel like your accomplishment. So 
it's weird when you get to a, fi- a certain point in like the the end of the second act of the game where you run into the final boss earlier than I think you expect and there is a cutscene and the final boss kills you and <laughs> I don't mean I don't mean he kills you I mean like you are in front of him and you disintegrate. I feel there's nothing I, of Mr. you Stark, left. Mr. Stark, I feel weird. Yeah, like exactly. It's it's Holy like shit. that straight up. Um, and so you're kind of at this point where like there is no party leader, and you are just a confused mass of all of your teammates who are like, "How do we bring Chrono back?" Oh, that's so weird. That's so <laughs> cool. And so like the the next stretch of game is like just finding a way to resurrect your dead friend like literally gathered the dragon balls and wish goku back oh my god it's crazy and it's one of the coolest plot points of that game and i feel a little bad for spoiling it but the game is so old that like and i i feel like i'm the the resident jrpg fan so check out chrono trigger if you want there's other plot twists in there i promise man (laughs) i love that it's a really cool moment because one and of those I things guess... that like you never expect to happen. Like, <laughs> like this is this is common in RPGs as like I guess there is there is the trope in RPGs of like the irreversible character death in cutscene, even though characters die all the time and you bring them back with like items. Yeah, you know the the most famous example is Final Fantasy VII. Spoilers for a twenty year old game, I guess. Um, well, I'm actually going to be talking about Final Fantasy VII anyway. Uh, oh, how well we can use point, this. No, as a no, segue. Hop, it's it's twenty two. Hop on my back as I segue down the wharf. Um, <laughs> down the Final wharf. Fantasy, I don't know. Final <laughs> Fantasy VII has the the famous moment of your party member Eris. Aerith? Who cares? <laughs> One of the two. Uh, uh, it, it is it is officially Aerith, but like I prefer Eris. Anyway, she dies. Cleaner. She gets she gets stabbed right through with a Masamune from the Badman Sephiroth, and. All your Phoenix Downs aren't worth shit, sir, because she's dead, and the game says she's dead, so eat because my butt. she's dead, dead. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, you can you can hand wave that with, like, maybe they're just unconscious, and the Phoenix Down is like a smelling salt that brings them back, or whatever. But like, I think that's actually the in-universe. I'm sure uh, it is. But anyway, But, yeah. like, there's things like that which are impactful, but also feel a little bit like, oh, man, I thought I had this power to not have that happen. But then having that happen to the main character <laughs> is wild. I it's, love that. It's really cool. Uh, I highly recommend Chrono Cross if you are int- like if Chris if you are interested in playing any old school JRPG. I think more than anything, I recommend Chrono Cross because it is a short game. Uh, it's like it's like a twenty twenty five hour RPG, which I know sounds like a lot, but for like that genre, that is yeah, really that's, quick. Yeah, considering these are genres that you can frequently spend. 80 to 100 hours on easily exactly so yeah uh we were segment we were segueing into final fantasy 7 you're on my uh, back dad <laughs> what talk to talk to me about final fantasy 7 my dude so um i guess briefly i will kind of talk about like how final fantasy's narrative and perspective has evolved since final fantasy 4 so final fantasy 4 was like the first like really story cutscene character driven Final Fantasy game. You could argue that it was two, but four is a bit stronger in that case. And in four, you are controlling a protagonist, and your perspective is always from that per, uh, protagonist's perspective. When even when the party splits up, you don't see what the other characters are doing. You are following that main character. 
Final Fantasy V has uh, a party, and for the most part, like, the party is always together. So you don't really have any perspective changes in that game. Final Fantasy VI, however, has no main character. Like, you could argue it's the first character that you control, but, like, really, though? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, like, it is an ensemble cast that, like, frequently and constantly changes perspective, and that's really cool. But Seven decides to go back to the singular main character. You are controlling Cloud Strife, uh, ex-soldier, current mercenary, um, and the entire... Big old dork. Uh, the entire game takes place from his perspective, and I guess maybe I should be careful about spoiling the game because now it's on Switch and people who've never yeah, played it before. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's gotten a recent re-release, so I guess spoilers for Final Fantasy VII. Maybe, uh, Chris, when you edit it, you can put, like, a timestamp on when we uh, yeah. breeze past this. Good call. Hello, this is Editor Chris coming to you from my palace unstuck in time. If you don't want spoilers for Final Fantasy VII, skip ahead to minute 30, second 17. That's 3017. And enjoy more of our vagary. Goodbye. The the cool thing about Final Fantasy VII is that, uh, yeah, you are following Cloud's perspective. It is from his perspective for like the first disc and a half, I want to say. And then... After Eris's death, uh, you continue chasing Sephiroth because, you know, you gotta get back at him because he's a dick. He basically starts putting seeds of doubt in your mind. He's he, he starts saying crazy shit like, you're not the real Cloud, and that you are actually a science experiment the same way Sephiroth was. And, you know, Cloud gets more and more disoriented. Um, Sephiroth actually shows Cloud a picture from his and Tifa's shared past that he remembers. But, like, then Tifa has to be, like, actually Cloud... I I was there. You you weren't. Huh? I when you started talking about events that you should not have been there for, like it started freaking me out, and I didn't want to say anything. But huh? like I feel like that needs to be addressed. <laughs> and so eventually, the game leads you to believe that Cloud is actually the result of a science experiment, and this kind of breaks his psyche entirely. And so in the last couple hours of gameplay, it has been shown that like Cloud has been subject to like mental suggestion by Sephiroth. You know, in the same way that, like... I'm thinking of, like, one of the curses from Harry Potter, but I'm trying to think of something more universal. But anyway, yeah, no, um... Cloud has shown himself to be susceptible to mind control from Sephiroth, and this, like, breaks him completely. He gives Sephiroth the big bad MacGuffin that, you know, he should not have, and then he disappears from the game for roughly five, six hours of gameplay. And so, from that point... Uh, you are controlling Tifa as she is uh, looking for Cloud and also trying to evade the big bad empire. Honestly, that is one of my favorite things about... And I, I haven't played a ton of the modern Final Fantasy games. The final, Dylan and I recently discovered that the two Final Fantasy games I've actually played a bunch of are two of the oldest ones. One uh, and three. One and three. But what I love about what I've seen of like Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy... Was nine the one you were playing when you were yeah. up here? Yeah, is the way they play with characters entering and leaving the party as a way of expanding on the story and creating new story beats. Yeah. The fact that they view the party not just as like, this is a gameplay thing, but also as like a tool for furthering the reality of what the progression of the story is very cool. And this is such a good example of that. Mm-hmm. I think what is really cool about uh, Final Fantasy VII in particular is that 
there are multiple moments, especially in the early game, where, you know, Cloud splits up from the other party members. But, like, in Final Fantasy IV, you only ever see his side of things. Um, Final Fantasy VI and Final Fantasy IX, nice. Uh, they both like <laughs> to switch perspectives a lot. We did it. Um, we got there. We're real podcasters now. <laughs> but, um, oh, you know. so dumb. <laughs> like, Final Fantasy VI, very early in the game, there's a moment where the party splits up and you get to choose which party member you want to follow. And then once you get to the end of their segment, you choose the next character. And then that repeats, like, one more time. And Final Fantasy IX, basically from the first town, you switch perspectives, like, two or three times between, like, three characters. And so, like, they they are very upfront about the, the idea that, like, there is not going to be a set perspective. This is but, an ensemble. <laughs> yes. But Seven kind of returns to that, like, this is the main character, you are that main character, and then they completely take that away from you halfway through the game. So yeah, that that was always really cool. Um I'm gonna give the floor back to you, Chris, if you have anything. Um, Actually, looking at the list, it looks like all of the rest of these are games I suggested. It's true they are. I couldn't come up with any others that I liked as much as a set or I liked as much as Paper Mario Thousand Year Door or I thought were as helpful or interesting to talk about <laughs> as Assassin's Creed three. So Yeah, I guess I'll just monopolize the rest of this podcast. Oh good, one or two more. That means I don't have to talk about Phoenix Wright and spoil this series I want you to play. <laughs> So, uh, real quick, uh, just gonna wrap this up real quick, like, The Last of Us is a game that I've only played once, but, like, it did have a lasting effect on me. There's a really cool moment. So, to establish the plot of The Last of Us, it is basically a standard, not-so-standard zombie apocalypse type of story, um, where you are a grizzled old dude with kind of a cowboy aesthetic. Not aesthetic, but, like, there's something... There's a true grit feeling about you. Yeah, he, um, he's definitely got the, like, man-with-no-name ambiance to him. Yeah. You are you are given a job. You need to escort this girl from where you are. Uh, at, you gotta travel west and get her to this hospital over there. And so, most of the game, you're not really... It's, it doesn't feel like an escort mission because... Thankfully, the the girl, Ellie, her AI is very capable, and I also don't think she has a death state on her own, but, like, the, the flavor of the story is that you are helping her through this, uh, this trip. And so, you know, you forbid her from using any weapons, you try to keep her out of combat for the most part, and then it gets to a point where you, the main character, you fall, you take a nasty fall, and I think you get impaled on a broken pipe. Oof. And the perspective shifts where, like, you know, you are able to get out of there, but, like, as you are leaving the building, you see your, uh, you see Ellie, and she is, you know, she's shooting people, like, she's doing what she needs to do to get you out of there. And then as you escape, you eventually collapse, the screen cuts to black, and then it's, like, two weeks or two months or however long, probably two weeks, because I don't think you could last two months No, almost certainly not. Uh, <laughs> Two weeks later, or Not you know, those broccoli zombies run wandering around. <laughs> it's true. There, there's there's a time jump. It's probably smaller than I'm thinking, but there is a time jump, and it is a cut to you are playing as Ellie, and you are hunting in the forest for food, and you are taking care of your old main character. You 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 instantly realize the character I've been project, 
protecting is a lot more capable than I've been giving her credit for. Um, and so, like, there's, like, I want to say two or three, probably more, there's, like, a five-hour segment where you are just playing as her, and, like, um, you run into marauders and you gotta take care of them, and, like, Ellie has her own established antagonist that she needs to fight off, and, you know, eventually Control switches back over to Joel, the main character, but you you really get a better appreciation for how capable this character is that you've been protecting. Yeah, it's it's a fun uh it lets Ellie come into her own as more of a character cuz like she already is. The game is The Last of Us is Cormac McCarthy's The Road, but with more of a plot and more broccoli zombies. Yeah. And by more of a plot I mean like a driving purpose rather than just like we're going south because south is where we were told to go. There's there's a lot of context. Uh I guess for a little bit more context, she has immunity to whatever infection is causing the zombies. So uh, like they're they're getting her to a facility where they can hopefully make a vaccine. Yeah, and so the game is all about God, Last of Us is so good. Um <laughs> it's about this relationship between these two people and how it grows. Like, if there is a, a core reason for the game to do all of the things it does, it's because that's the story they want to tell. They want to tell the story of, like, these two people and their relationship with one another. And I think the coolest thing about uh, The Last of Us is even when your perspective uh, switches back to Joel, Joel makes certain decisions out uh, by the end of the game that, like, Ellie makes her decisions and Joel just kind of, like, walks those decisions back out of his own selfishness. And... I feel like the, the most important thing is that, like, as the player, we kind of realize the agency Ellie has, and we realize she should be making these decisions for herself. And when we get control of Joel again, like, there's there's an alienation, you know, because I've heard a lot of people who take the side of Joel, and I've heard a lot of people who take the side of Ellie, but I think what's important is that, like, there's kind of this moment of, like, should I be doing what I'm doing? Um, yeah. And it's it's really cool and it's really effective. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the games that's frequently brought up when people are, are like, games are uh, art, but like for <laughs> good reason. Like, it does a lot of things very well, and it's one of the more thoughtful games. At least at the time, it was one of the more thoughtful games that had come out in a long time. Mm-hmm. At least as far as like narrative and character was concerned. Yeah. Um, and I think that this this shift in perspective and this allowing you to like now the escort mission is the character that you're playing as and like now you have to think about who this person is and it's it's very good yeah last game i'm going to talk about and then we can wrap this up so persona 3 is a pretty cool game persona 3 is also a bit of a weird game but uh i think thematically uh persona 3 is kind of about life and death and trying to make good of the time you have left, which is why Persona 3 has the calendar system. One of the things about Persona 3 is that, also, I guess I should say this up front, heavy spoilers for Persona 3. Um, also, Persona 3 is like a game where it's an old game, and I feel like a lot of people have already talked about the, it's not even really a plot twist, but just like Persona 3's ending. But if you hadn't, if you had I don't know anything about it, so Dylan, educate me. Okay, I just wanted I wanted to warn the audience if they yeah. cared because you know a lot of people are getting to, into the series with Persona Five and they might go back and play Persona Three having never been spoiled on it before. Anyway, sorry about that. Just wanted to get that <laughs> out of the way. I like how I'm spoiling some games and not others, but like you know, I feel like there are some games where it's like, all right, this is a pretty big plot twist. I don't think everyone's <laughs> played this game. So 
at the end of Persona 3, your main character dies. The whole, the whole, uh, like I was saying, the whole thing is like making good with the time you have left. When you fight the final boss, it's like this really cool, uh, when you get to the end, there's this really cool scripted moment against the final boss where you kind of have to do one last attack. And um, in Persona, the Persona games, you have attacks that cost uh, your magic points. And then you also have attacks that cost your hit points. And this next attack that will finish the boss off will cost all of your HP. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, like, so you're like, all right, I guess I guess I have to do this. So you do it. And oh, I love that because it makes you have to... Oh, yes, good. You have, put that, you, put you that have to pull the hands. trigger. You have to pull the trigger. That's so um, good. <laughs> and so there's the, the rest of your party has this quick scare where it's like, oh, God, did he die? Is he dead? And then, you know, you're fine. You come back, you're fine, and everything's okay. And you finish the rest of your school year. And on the last day of school, you're kind of chilling on the roof of the school with a battle android good <laughs> don't worry about it um and you know she's basically talking to you about how you've taught her how precious life is and you know all heartwarming stuff like that and so the game kind of ends as you slip away um and then the credit song is this really nice touching song about uh the android like being like i will remember everything you've taught me and it's really nice and then you get to the answer, which is the kind of bonus campaign in the special edition of Persona 3. You are playing as that android. And I don't know beat for beat the plot of the this, this campaign, but you are playing as the android. And essentially you are in this dungeon where you are, you are searching for something. And everyone has a different idea on what this is. Uh, and so... You know, some of your party members think, like, this can bring the protagonist back. So everyone's not entirely sure what the deal is. But what ends up happening is that your party kind of splinters off into teams. And they all fight each other. Because they all what? want different things out of this dungeon. Well, <laughs> yeah. shit. I love that. And so you're, you're kind of, you're watching the party kind of fall apart in the absence of what you've done. But more importantly, the android that you're playing as, she has inherited the power that the Persona 3 protagonist has to basically switch builds, uh, personas. And okay. so, yeah, the, and the so, thing like, that all protect that the thing that the Persona main character all, all all Persona main characters, uh, starting with three, have this ability. Um, and so, you know, there's a couple characters who are like, well, why did why does she get it? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, like, it's it's just this very interesting perspective shift of like. You know, from your perspective, the Persona 3 protagonist, you're like, those were a good group of friends. But, like, it all just comes crashing down the second you leave, and uh, you, you're you're playing a new protagonist, and you kind of have to build up everyone and, like, kind of bring them together again. I love... Uh, this game, this is doing a lot of things that I love in that they're making, they're making the narrative mechanical. See, you have to d devote to using all of your life to kill the boss. Yeah. But then they're also making the mechanics into something in the narrative where, like, they all notice that you suddenly have the main character power. <laughs> I love that so much. That's so cool. It's really, it's a really cool moment. And unfortunately, I haven't actually gotten to this point in the game, but I know about it just because I've been a Persona fan since 2009. But yeah, I, I thought it was worth mentioning, definitely. And I know... That someone who's played Persona 3, the answer is going to be like, you butchered that summary. And I'm like, I know, but what's important is that you are 
brought to a point where you have to fight your fellow party members because you all want something different. Oh, that's so good. So yeah, that is that I think I think that's where we're going to cap it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a pretty we We've run the gamut of perspective shifts. Um, there's, a, there's a cool thing that happens in Phoenix Wright that I don't want to talk about. So you're going to have to get that, yeah. get that Steam tweet version at, when it comes out. Tweet at CW Acting and yell at me until I play Phoenix Wright. <laughs> but yeah, thank you all for joining us on this kind of weirdly energized morning record. Uh, we had fun. We hope you did. As always... Thank you for listening to Backstage Gaming. You can find us at our website, bsgpod.com, where you can also send us messages via a contact form and find bios and info about me and Dylan. Or you can find our show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, or on the Google Play Store. Please leave a review or a rating on any of those places and help us grow the brand. My brand. My eyes. <laughs> My legs. Uh, so, yeah, no, if you want to tell us how fucking terrible we are, you can talk to <laughs> us on Facebook, Twitter, our handle is at BSG underscore cast, we have a YouTube, and if you like or hate what we talk about, you should use that hashtag BSG pod. Uh, also- Please don't use it out of hate. <laughs> no, it's free publicity. <laughs> Just use it regardless. Um... <laughs> Big, big ups to our friend Brendan French for the artwork he has provided us. If you dig what he is putting down, you can check out his Squarespace at brennanfrench.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen French dot Squarespace dot com. Uh, you can also check out his Instagram at Instagram slash Brennan French Arts. No hyphen there, just B-R-E-N-N-E-N-F-R-E-N-C-H-A-R-T-S. And... Once again, as always, thank you to BioQuery, our friend and the super talented musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1, Instrumentality. You can check him out on Spotify or on his SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash BioQuery. Go give him a listen. Enjoy his most recent EP, Post-Human Angst, which is just full of slaps. Okay, so I double-checked. I We're doing plugs now, right? Yes. Okay, I double-checked and, well, regardless... You should still check out the unexplored places. Yes, you should. But um, I am still on it. I think I have a solid episode left. So you should go check that out. It's really good. Yeah, um, and I will be on it sometime in the near future. Uh, <laughs> well, probably not the super near future because there's a while to go, but I'm going to be doing some stuff with them uh, we've, in, their we've inter yeah, in their interseason work. It's a super fun podcast and you should go check that out. Yeah. Plus, enjoy Dylan's dulcet tones in an area where he... I has swear I sound better than this. Well, not a script. I don't but... have a script. What are you talking? What are you trying to say, Wilson? This is a scripted actual play podcast. Um, also, check out Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery. It is a ooky spooky, very good audio drama that is, at this point, I think two weeks away from my very small part in it. At the very end, you'll get to hear me in a wildly unpleasant soundscape. Um, <laughs> there's also a new podcast coming out sometime in the future don't worry about it that i'm recording for called the god's head incidental which you should totally uh look up follow them on social media it's going to be super fun we actually just wrapped my portion of it recording wise last night so uh it's going to be super cool be on the lookout for that and i think that's it for us right now um yeah cool oh oh wait 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 nintendo main oh yes oh. we recently appeared on an episode thank you dylan yeah uh, we, no we, i saved we it were... <laughs> We were guests on the most recent episode of the Nintendo Main Podcast, a Nintendo news and 
opinion show. Uh, we met the guys who did it at the live show that we did here in Chicago a few weeks ago, and they asked us to be on their show, which we did, and was super fun. And we're thinking about having them on as guests here sometime in the hopefully not too distant future to talk about some shit that they know more about. Fingers crossed. And yeah, check um, them if out. You, they're if you on want Twitter. To hear Chris and I, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, they're on Twitter at Nintendo Main. So Nintendo Main. If you uh, want to hear Chris and I just shoot the shit and gush about video games we love from our past that we don't necessarily need to look at with a critical lens, you should you should listen to that episode. I had yeah. a lot of fun recording it. And then check out the rest of the stuff they do. They they recently yeah. launched a Patreon. They're good people. Um, I think that'll actually do it for us. Thank you yeah. all for tuning in to another episode of Backstage Gaming. And we will talk to you again in a week. Bye-bye. Hugs and kisses. <laughs>